0: Psalm 127 was written by a man who, among all people on earth, really should have been able to see God's work in his life and in his father David's life. So before we come to our text tonight and we see this this present reality of God's working, let's turn to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask uh, your blessing on our study this evening. We ask that you open our ears, soften our hearts to Hear your word clearly and hear the truth that you would have us to learn this evening. Help us to trust you all the more as this psalm instructs us to do so. So that we ask your blessing on our study tonight. Amen. Now as our tradition is, if you would take your copy of God's word and stand as we read together. Psalm 127 a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. Please be seated. When we come to scripture, when we come to the the word of God and and the words of God by which he reveals himself, there are a great many illustrations God uses in his word that we might come to know him, come to know his work in our lives, his work in the world, uh, so that we can know all of these things, know him deeper. And one that repeats often in scripture is this picture of a house. We see this picture of a house in Abraham, the one who left his home, left his family, left this established household to go to a new land to follow God. And we see it in the book of Luke. And Lord willing, when we come back to our study of Luke in the fall, we'll come to these parables, but we see it in a parable of a woman sweeping her house to find a lost coin, or we see it in a prodigal son leaving his father's house to seek his own way but one that I think will help us understand our psalm a little bit better tonight is this discussion of a house between David and between God that happens in 2 Samuel 7. Uh, You know David had a a great desire to build a house for the Lord, to build a temple that the ark might dwell in. And it's through that desire for a house that God takes this opportunity to bless David. So this evening I wanna begin with some background uh, we're going to see a lot of background tonight, so I'm going to go ahead and apologize in advance. Uh, there's we're going to go over a lot of uh, some other parts of Scripture that I think will help us see the depth and the richness of Psalm 127. But that background, Lord willing, will help us see uh, really two points tonight: first, the work of the Lord, and second, the reward of the Lord. So those are what we're going to look at tonight: the Lord's work and the Lord's reward. So for us to begin to see the Lord's work, we need to look back to God's promise to David. And as I mentioned, his desire to build a house. So this is in 2 Samuel 7. This is the interaction that David has with the prophet Nathan. Now when the king lived in his house, the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies. The king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent." Nathan says to David, Go for it. That's a great idea. The temple is a good thing. But during the night, the Lord comes to Nathan and says, That's, that's not the way I want it to go down. Go back and tell David, No. Well, yes, but, but no. It's going to be a little different. So, so Nathan comes back and says, The Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. will not depart from him. Just as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. We see from this that God is employing a little bit of wordplay here. He's speaking of, of this idea of a house in two very different ways. Where David wished to build a physical house, to build a temple, God's saying, no, I'm going to establish your family, to establish your, your lineage, your throne, and, and your legacy, and it will be through a child, a son of David, that this promise will be fulfilled. Now, we, we know that this ultimately uh, is fulfilled, this promise comes to be in Christ, King David's greater son. Christ came to earth, and he established his church. He committed no iniquity, Just as as Solomon did, as David did, but he was disciplined with the rod of men, the one who was stricken, smitten, and afflicted for our transgressions. But in his promise to David, God is also speaking of Solomon. A few chapters after this interaction, Solomon is born, and this this is that interaction. David comforted his wife Bathsheba and went into her and lay with her, and she bore a son. And he called his name Solomon. And the Lord loved him and sent a message by Nathan the prophet. So he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. Now, Jedidiah literally means beloved by Yahweh. And it's kind of a nickname. It's kind of uh, a name of blessing. It's similar to what Jacob was renamed. He was renamed Israel. And so you go through the Old Testament and you see Jacob and Israel kind of interchanged. So Solomon would have been known by the name that his father David given him, but this kind of nickname, Jedidiah, beloved by Yahweh. And so with Solomon, we begin to see God's love, the beginning of this established forever house of David. So when we come back to our psalm, back to 127, and we see the introduction of Solomon, and we come to that first verse Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. We should begin to understand immediately there's something far more going on here than just a house, just a place to live. Unless the Lord establishes your family, unless, as the verse goes on, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Unless, in in other words, all your work, all your desires, all your hopes, all the security that that we seek day in, day out, unless all of those are placed firmly in the Lord, your hope and your desire, uh, it's all in vain. We hope and we desire and we, we build homes and we build cities and it's all built in vain if it's not firmly rooted in the Lord. It's kind of like building a sandcastle. It's... It's fun, it's a great activity to do, but there are some people who take building a sandcastle very seriously. Uh, And in fact, up in Hampton Beach in New Hampshire, every year there's a major uh, sand sculpting contest. It's actually in about a month, so if you wanna check it out, find the details online. But uh, some of the best sculptors from around the country and even the world will come, and they'll use about 200 tons of imported sand over the course of a weekend to build these enormous, elaborate, just, just mind-blowing sand sculptures. And when the contest is over, the statues stay, and they're even sprayed with a mixture of, of glue and water to help them withstand uh, a little bit so people can come and watch them after for a few weeks. And then the tides of the ocean, and the wind, and the rain, and all of the weather all of those works of art will be lost. And that's the idea here in our text, that unless the Lord builds it, unless the Lord protects it, unless the Lord sustains it, it's in vanity. Our house, our city, our desires, our hopes, they'll all fade. They'll all fade without the mighty working of the Lord. And how many of us do things like this? We build our own castles of sand, Perhaps it's it's literally on your house. You plan some home improvement project, and when you're done, it hasn't satisfied you. It hasn't turned out as nicely as you wanted, or something wasn't quite the way you liked, and you come to this just empty feeling where you thought it would satisfy you. Maybe you didn't submit your desires to God or or ask him how he wanted you to steward your time, steward your money. Maybe it's not your house. Maybe it's a promotion, and another promotion, and another promotion, and another promotion that takes you away from your family longer. Maybe it's just as simple as settling in to watch Netflix night after night when you haven't spent any personal time with the Lord. Are you trying to succeed? Are you trying to fill the void that your heart feels and and build up for yourself treasures on earth? Now we can try, and we all try, and we ought to all try, but our dependence is on the Lord and that's the lesson in verse two it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest eating the bread of anxious toil you can work as hard as you like rising as early as you can going to bed late for going sleep studying working and you can eat the bread of anxious toil and eat the bread that does not satisfy, drink the water that does not quench your thirst. You can trust in your own strength, but it is in vain. Now, the man who wrote these words, it sounds a little too familiar <laughs> to him. It sounds like he knows this from personal experience, and this is Solomon we're talking about after all the man who uh, as it says in Ecclesiastes tried to amass silver and gold and he did it. And he amassed wives. And there's even a a verse that says, whatever his eyes saw, he denied them nothing. So Ecclesiastes records Solomon's thoughts on life, on his uh, conclusion to all of his striving and all of his toiling and what's his conclusion. It's that famous phrase in Ecclesiastes, vanity, vanity, All is vanity and striving after wind. That's his conclusion to all of his striving, all of his toiling, but that is not his final thought. The next to last verse in Ecclesiastes, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commands, for this is the whole duty of man. And we see that same idea Here in our psalm, in that last line in verse 2, for he gives to his beloved sleep. How do these ideas connect? Well, this is a little uh, tricky line in Hebrew. For he gives to his beloved. Well, who is his beloved? The word for beloved in Hebrew is yadid, almost like the beginning of his name, Yedidiah. It's his own way of putting himself in here. So when has Solomon's life not been vanity? When has it not been useless? Well, when he's trusting the Lord. When the Lord uh, is giving him rest. When Solomon is trusting the Lord to do the work that the Lord has promised to do, Solomon finds peace. And he finds this peace and he finds this rest because the Lord is at work. That is the work of the Lord. It gives us rest. It's not just Solomon. He's at work in in our lives. He's calling us to deeper relationship with him because he's sovereign over all of our situations. Everything that we experience, he is sovereign over. He's at work in the world, not just us. Whether it's this ongoing pandemic, and we have to be honest, we've asked ourselves, is this ever going to end? Or whether we we read the news and we see the injustice that so desperately needs divine intervention, we can rest from our anxiety, because the present reality is that God is at work. The work of the Lord is what gives His beloved rest. Now, what does God say to Jesus at His baptism? As We've already said Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of that promise to David. So at Jesus' baptism, the father says, You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. And again, at the transfiguration, the father says, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. So who is Jesus? He is the beloved son. And Jesus, what does he do? He calls us. He bids us come and rest. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Why does he do this? Because God loves his people. If you've been united to Christ by faith, there is no longer any need to eat the bread of anxious toil, but come to Jesus and rest, because his work is sufficient. Please, Don't misunderstand me. This is not a free pass. This is not a get out of jail free saying I never have to work. I never have to do anything. That's not uh, the point. God created humans to work. When Adam was created, he gave him a job tending the garden, caring for creation and to name all the animals. And it was beautiful. But what our passage is saying is that the Lord is at work. He is providentially caring for us, and we need to make sure that our purposes are aligned with his. It is teaching that we can rest in the assurance that God's at work, that he's in control, that he is sovereign. And even through our own work, the Lord himself is working. Now, as we move to to transition a bit from looking at the Lord's work to looking at uh, the reward of the Lord. We're going to take these a bit out of order. We're going to look at verses four and five first. first. the reason we're going to take them out of the order is because of the climax. The very center of this Psalm is verse three. So if you notice there are there are even parallels uh, in this psalm, verses one and five, and then between verses two and four. In verse one we see the the uselessness of working without the Lord. And then in verse five we see the the immense Reward the the blessing of having children. There is no shame. Even your your enemies can't say anything bad. So when the Lord works on your behalf, there is an abundance, not uselessness and vanity. Now in verse 2, we see the toil and striving, which are just anxiousness. In verse 4, we see the warrior receive arrows, the tools that make him capable. So the parallel between those two verses, it's incapability, Versus the Lord's work making us capable. And this leaves verse 3 as the central point, the the apex of the poem, if you will. So let's look first at verses 4 and 5, if you'll look down with me in more detail. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. The question then comes to mind is, what good is a warrior? What good is an archer with no arrows? Well, the answer is obvious. No good, nothing. Just as the Lord blesses, he also blesses the means. He gives us the tools. He makes us capable. He is working, and, and it's his work and his uh, His reward that makes us capable. He is the one who gives us what we need, even, to do our own Work And it's not just a single tool, but we are blessed by a a large family. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full. So when people look at you, are they able to see the Lord working in you, to see the Lord's blessing in your life, to see the Lord's reward in you? And if that's the case, there can be no shame. There's no uh, bad feelings that we should feel, but we are blessed by the Lord, and even your enemies can see this. These final two verses also point to a God of abundance. He's the God who works excellently. It's not just a little bit, but it's awesome. He's mighty to save. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. His blessing comes in abundance as well, because that's how he works. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with children. Blessed is the man who has trusted the Lord and in whom we see the evidence of the mighty work of the Lord. Blessed is the man who has worked for the Lord, and in return the Lord has blessed his work. But that's it's not a transaction. It's just God's overabundance. That's not often how we think of enemies, though, of them being put to shame, of them uh, seeing the goodness, seeing God's work in someone's life, and I can't say anything. We're coming to a uh, an election, and the two presidential candidates I would think probably won't say anything good about each other, as the election gets led up to. And that's what we expect. That's what we would think is we hear a lot of mudslinging, a lot of slander. But if you've trusted the Lord, His reward is great. Not even enemies can put you to shame. They can see nothing of your incapability, but only the Lord's blessing in your life. But if you notice where this text uh, says that this conversation happens, it happens in the gate. When you speak with your enemies in the gate, now where are the gates? The gates of what? Well, these would be the gates in the wall of of a city. And it's in these gates where uh, people would gather to either do business sometimes or uh, perhaps some elders in the city would sit and they'd debate theology, they'd debate politics. This is the the public square, but it all happens under the walls, under the gate of the city. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So even in that the picture here is that we're surrounded by the Lord's blessing, his protection, his guidance, and sometimes we don't even realize it because how often do you think about, or at least if you were in the ancient world, how often would you think about going in and out of the city? That would happen all the time. So when you trust the Lord, when his reward comes to you, it's often unexpected, but it's all-encompassing, it's overwhelming sometimes, and it's all-sufficient. What is this reward? What is this blessing that we keep talking about? And so we come now to the the crux, to the center of our psalm. And so if you'll look at verse three with me. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Now in Hebrew, that word reward has a, a sense of, of wages almost. If you go to work and you work for a long time. What's your reward? Your reward or what you get paid. It's your wages. So it's no surprise then that we're talking about the work of the Lord and we come to what the wages are. So what are the wages? Well, our text says children. But we have to put ourselves in, in the ancient Near Eastern mindset to look with, with their eyes to understand the significance of what this psalm is expressing. What is the point in building a house if not to have a place for your family to rest? What is the point of building a city and guarding it and putting up walls if not to protect families? How would a family ensure its heritage, its longevity? Well, by having children. The family in the ancient world, it's the fundamental unit of society. It's the way in which all of life functions. And this is especially significant for Solomon. He's a king, and we all know what kings need to do as soon as they take the throne. But he's the beloved child of David, with whom God made a promise to establish his house and his family forever. Solomon's aware of this, certainly. But that's, that's the ancient world. So we understand the significance of children then, but what about today? What about us now and what about me? I, I don't have children. Lord willing, I'd love some in the future. But I have seen the joy on parents' faces as they watch their children grow up, as they do something they previously weren't able to do. What a blessing to have children. And we still believe that God works through families. We see that all throughout Scripture, and we see that here. Listen to what C.S. Lewis writes in his book, The Great Divorce. Uh, If you're not familiar with the book, it's kind of an allegory. Lewis is being uh, himself led through the afterlife, uh, but it's really about how we're supposed to live now in light of this idea of the afterlife. So he's being guided, and he sees all different kinds of sights, and at one point he sees a parade coming toward him, and it's this woman who's at the center of this parade, she's wearing beautiful clothes and she's surrounded by angels and children, there are people dancing and and singing and the beauty of this parade, Lewis thinks this must have been a saint or someone incredibly important and his guide says it's someone you'll never have heard of. Her name on earth was Sarah Smith. She's one of the great ones. You've heard that fame in this country and fame on earth are two quite different things. Every young man or boy that met her became her son, even if it was only the boy that brought the meat to her back door. Every girl that met her was her daughter, but her motherhood was of a different kind. Those on whom it fell went back to their natural parents, loving them more. So if you're sitting there wondering, as I wondered while I studied this psalm, if you are wondering whether this scripture applies to you, because you don't have children, please hear that it does. Please be assured that if you believe in Christ, you are part of his spiritual family. You're part of his church, this church even. There's a there's a tradition at Presbytery uh, where the men there call each other fathers and, and brothers. Uh, and it's something I'm still getting used to. Uh, but I have been greatly blessed and, and edified by many members of the Presbytery, including the men in our own session. And I've been greatly blessed by many of the people here at, at Redeemer, in our congregation, and I know, I know many of you feel the same. So fathers and brothers, sons, sisters and mothers and daughters, hear now that, that, that children are a heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb, a reward but I want to zoom out for just a minute, for just a couple more seconds. We can't miss the fact that Jesus is the son. So who is Jesus? He is the heritage of the Lord. He is the reward of all God's work. He's the one by whom we see all all God's glory, his own glory. Christ is the one. The fulfillment of the promise to establish a house forever. So when we look back at the way the Lord has worked through time, through our lives, and through uh, events recorded in Scripture, we should really consider, or what we should really find, is that we reap the benefits of the Lord's work. We are blessed by Christ, the beloved Son. If you have put your faith in Christ, you're his child. child co-heirs with Christ and given all the blessings that Christ earned by his work. So brothers and sisters, do not eat the bread of anxious toil. But trust in the Lord and in his work and in the Son, the beloved Son, who offers you rest in his house forever. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, How blessed we are to call you that. How blessed we are to know Christ. How blessed we are to count Christ as as our reward, as our blessing, by the sufficiency of the work that he did. Father, we thank you, and we're humbled by that. So Father, I pray that as we go out, Uh, this evening as we leave uh, corporate worship that you would place on our hearts a need to trust you all the more. Give us your grace day by day and moment by moment to trust you, to surrender our own desires and hopes and longings uh, that we surrender it to you, knowing that unless you build the house, unless you guard the city that we toil in vain, thank you for the the sufficiency of your work. Father, we ask all these things in the name of the beloved Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. I don't believe there are any announcements unless I've missed anything. Have I missed anything? If that's the case, then please go and enjoy the rest of the Lord's Day as the deacons dismiss us.